guys. That was great. Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you. Um, a lot of our, uh, we usually have a large section of students up here in the front, and uh, they're off on a retreat this weekend. So if you're wondering, where are they? Well, they're actually at a retreat this weekend. My son, one of my sons is with them, and so I hope they're having a great time. Well, we're really glad that you're here with us today, that you've made a decision to just spend some time with us, Church in the Valley today. And uh, If you didn't know it, my name is Jeep Underwood. And uh, we're going to be continuing a series that we started last week called Been There, Done That. And the central idea, the foundational idea behind this series is that Jesus actually has been there and done that when it comes to being one of us. He really was one of us. And so, you know, when because he became a human and because he knows what it feels like to be us, then when we approach him, we know that he really understands and that he can, he really can understand what we're feeling and he can really help us at the point of our need. So the, this morning we're going to look at this, this idea of when the pressure is on. I'm sure a lot of you guys can really relate to that because the pressure is on. It's, it's varied with all of us, but the pressure is on. We have things that we have hard things that we're facing, things that we need to take care of, things that we're not sure how it's all going to turn out. And we have to, we're going through things in our mind like, you know, what are we going to do about this? How do we handle this? What it is is ahead of us. And, you know, sometimes those hard things, they come on quick. Sometimes they're things that we, we deal with them for quite a while and we're under the pressure for quite a while. But, you know, for me, I remember, I remember this one time something came up real quick. And this is when I was in my early twenties, I was working uh, with my, my dad and uncle who had started their offshoot business called Underwood Brothers Construction. And we had one of my uncle's truck was out in the alleyway behind our office, and I had to back it in the gate. Now, my dad and my uncle had this thing between them, you know, Fords and Chevys. My uncle was very proud of his Ford. My dad was very proud of his Chevy. And my uncle's Ford truck was a beast. And this thing had a 460 engine in it. I mean, this thing was fun to drive. Uh, I won't tell you how I know that, but uh, I wouldn't tell him. But uh, it's just a real fun truck. Well, I jumped in this truck, and I had to back it into the yard, into our equipment yard. And I jumped in. I slammed the door behind me, turned around, and looked out the back window, and I backed in very rapidly, so rapidly that I couldn't really react to the noises that I was hearing. Um, as I went back, what happened was the door, I didn't know it, but the door had hit my hip and bounced back open. And as I backed in, the fence post of the gate was in a strategic location to destroy a door of a truck. And so there was this huge noise. And when I, I stopped, hit the brake as soon as I could, and the door was bent all the way around to the front fender. I'm like, wow. Well, look at that. And I remember, I remember after I started to breathe again, I remember getting out and looking at that door and then looking over at the office where my uncle dude was and looking back at that door. And then remembering how large my uncle dude was. And then looking back at the door, and I thought, and I really, I had to make, I had, you know what, I thought, you know what, I honestly, I thought I could make a run for it. <laughs> but the problem was he knows where I live, and it really ultimately would end up the same place. I remember just having to make a decision. I got to go, I got to go tell him. And so I remember walking in there, and I thought, well, at least my dad's there. Maybe he'll hold him back a little. Um and I remember trying to tell him, and the words wouldn't come out. I'm like, uh, i got to show you something out in the yard. He goes, okay. So we're walking out there. I'm, you know, we walk out there, and I said, uh, 
you know what, it was an accident, but your door, uh, your door doesn't shut very good anymore. And, uh, and he looked at that, he looked at that, I really don't know what his reaction was going to be. He looked at that and he goes, he said, uh, he started to chuckle. He started to chuckle. Man, that was not the reaction. And he goes, he, and he said, you know, you know, Jeep, I, uh, I did that exact same thing one time. And he told me the story of how he had done that. I went, oh my gosh. And then, and then he, and then, uh, he, I said, well, you know, I'll pay for it. I, you know, I, I did it. And he goes, you know what? That's why we have insurance. Don't worry about this at all. So we pulled the truck out and several of us were able to get the door shut. So, uh, and then that door didn't move very much until he got it fixed. Um, so I drove that off. Now there was that moment, you know, that moment when we're facing something hard, we really have those kinds of feelings. You know, we think, man, I could make a run for it. You know, I could escape or we have to decide, are we going to show up and we're going to face it? Are we going to show up and we're going to face it? That's just a big part of what it's like when you're facing a hard thing. Those are things that are going through your mind. And as you get older, you know, when you're younger, when I was younger, it wasn't, it just felt like uh, things weren't that complicated and really not that hard and when I was a young man. And then as I got older, I began to find out that things were a lot more complicated, a lot more complex than I thought. <clears throat> and uh, the pressure, what I found is that as you get older, there's just more and more things that you have to face and there's more and more pressures that come on. And, you know, uh, last weekend was my 27th anniversary of the day I started with the engineering company that I work for, the Army Corps of Engineers. I can't believe that I just said that. 27 years. Well, about 15 years ago, I had my, I, I got my first promotion into a supervisory position. We call them section chiefs there. And I remember when I was just a project engineer making projects happen, civil engineer projects happen, I would look at my boss and I would think, what does he do? I don't know if you guys ever had that kind of thought, like, what, what does he do anyway? I mean, he sits there and he, he thinks. I, I see him thinking a lot. And, and it wasn't like I had, it wasn't a disparaging thought. I just honestly just didn't know. And, uh, and so it was just kind of like this vacant category for me. And then I got his job. And when I got his job, I had this thought going into it. Well, really the main thing we do around here is getting projects done. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to be a project engineer slash section chief. So I'm going to make sure I'm working on projects. After about three weeks later, as the realities of what a supervisor meant began to land on me, I thought, well, okay, what I'm going to do is I'm going to be a section chief slash project engineer. That's what I'm going to do. And then after about six weeks, the more and more of the realities of what it meant to be a supervisor began to really land on me. And, uh, you know, there's things like just managing people in projects and uh, just performance evaluations accountability things where you have to report up the chain, like how things are going, be tracking those things. And then, uh, you know, just the big picture things like what projects can we actually say yes to? What can we, how can we resource these projects? There's so many things that are happening all the time. I began to realize, you know what? I'm a section chief. That's what I am. And I need to really lean on these folks that are project engineers. Now I've had similar experiences to that all through my life, just getting married and learning what it meant to be a husband. Over time, you begin to realize there's much more to this than I thought when I started. And then also just being a father, becoming a father, there's much more to this than what I thought initially. As your kids grow, there's just more and more ways that you need to be engaged with them and help them. And what I found is, I think there's something that keeps coming back to all of us, is really this question of when things get hard, are we going to run away and escape 
or are we going to show up and face it? Are we going to show up and face it? So this morning I want to walk through, you know, Jesus, he really understands what it feels like to face hard things. Uh, I'd like to look a little bit at him this morning. You know, a few weeks ago, uh, I was just reading in Matthew uh, one morning, and I came, I came up to the point where Jesus gets arrested in the account of Matthew. And if you look at Matthew 26, 45 to 46, it says this. Then, then he returned to the disciples and he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come. The Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. And what hit me, and I'd thought of it many times before, but what really landed on me this time was, he said, the hour has come, and he showed up. Jesus showed up, even though he knew exactly what faced him at the cross. He, he knew what would happen there. He knew where it would happen, and he knew who was going to betray him. And yet, even though he knew all that, and even though he was in anguish over it at that moment, he showed up and he faced it. And what he did is he met those men by appointment. You know, he, the hour has come. You know, they didn't find him somewhere. They didn't chase him down. They didn't capture him somewhere. He actually knew where they were going to be and he intersected with them and he showed up with them. And that just really, that just really resonated with me is that, that he had really done that. Now, and so I started looking back through <clears throat> just what, like when's the first time that Jesus began to, to tell people, hey, this is going to happen. In Luke 9, uh, what he did, one thing he did in Luke 9 is he pulls together his disciples and, and he says this. He says, uh, could you guys make this, put the slide? Thank you. He says, listen carefully to what I'm about to tell you. So he pulls them together. He says, listen to this. He says, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. But they did not understand what this meant. He pulls them together and he, he starts to, he, he says, he starts them to under, trying to get them to understand, hey, this is where this is going, is I need to go to Jerusalem. In fact, just a few verses later in Luke uh, 9.51, it says, when the days were approaching for his ascension, he was determined to go to Jerusalem. That word determined just means he set his face. He, that's, that's the point in time he set his face and he said, it's time, I'm, gonna, I'm, head, I'm going to Jerusalem. So between Luke 9 to the time he's arrested, all those things you see Jesus doing, all those things you see him saying, the way he interacts with people, in the back of his mind, something that is just there for him is he's on a countdown. And he knows that he's on his way to really pay the price for our sin. And, and he knew really what that meant. It was going to be a very, very hard experience for him. And uh, he just continued to move towards that. And so as he's reaching out to people, as he's caring about people in the back of it, that's something he's dealing with. And he's dealing with that often because several times you'll see him many times say, guys, this is what's have, this is what's going to happen. And every time we'd say they didn't understand. And so he was really alone in this except for with his father. And he would spend, he would spend time really praying with his father. Now, so if you go, so let's jump back to the night of the arrest. Night of the arrest, uh, just a little bit before what we read. Uh, in Matthew 26, 37 to 38, what, when he got there, it was a couple hours, a few hours before he was arrested. He pulled James and John and James, uh, James and John aside. And it says he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be grieved and distressed. 
And he said to them, My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. Yeah, he, he really opened up to these three men. And he led them in to his eternal, internal struggle. And then he went off and he prayed. Let's go, to, go ahead and go to the next verse. It says, He went a little ways beyond them, and he fell on his face and prayed. My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. He made a decision right there that he was going to show up for us. And that's just huge. And so he really understands what it feels like to have something very, very hard facing you. And then yet in the middle of that showing up. So whenever we have something, when we have something that's, that's really hard for us that we're facing, maybe we're fearful about it. Maybe we wish it could just be a different way. We know that Jesus really understands what that feels like and that he can really help us at that point of our need. Now, one thing Jesus said was uh, the night before he was crucified, he said, greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. And then he also said uh, in that same evening, he says, as I have loved you, you also should love one another. And so we really, he, God really wants us, he really wants us to be laying our lives down for each other as well. And so what God really wants us to do, and these are like the two, two main things this morning, is God really wants us to show up for the hard things we're facing with his help. God really wants us to show up for the hard things we're facing with his help. And God really wants us to show up in the lives of other people. He really wants us to show up in the lives of other people around us. Now, uh, God wants us to show up for the hard things we're facing. I'd like to look just at what Peter had to say about that night when Jesus uh, was crucified, when he was arrested and he was on trial. And he says this in 1 Peter 2. It says, For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. And while suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. Now, now maybe this morning uh, in your life right now, maybe there's, there's some responsibilities that you have that are really hard or some things that you have to face that are really hard. We all have different stories. We're all in different places. You know, maybe, maybe it's something at work. Maybe you have a project that has to get done. Maybe there's a deliverable that has to be done by a certain date and there's just a lot of pressure on that. You know, maybe there's some dates of completion that need to be hit. Maybe some milestones uh, maybe that's something that's going on right now. Maybe, maybe in your family. Maybe there's some just some issues just in relating with each other that's that's happening. And uh, maybe there's uh, maybe your maybe your kids are going through some hard things, and you're trying to figure out how to help them. And for you, that's a hard thing, trying to help them through their hard things that are really dealing with them. One thing is, if we were if we were to sit across the table from Jesus today, and we took those things that we're dealing with, we take that thing that is hard, and we just kind of just open up to him and say, this is what I'm struggling with, and this is how I'm feeling. I think Jesus might say something like this. I think he might say something like, I understand what you're going through. I've been there. I've been there. And he says, you know what? Here's what I did when I was facing that, is I kept entrusting myself to my father, and I rested in him because he would do what was right, and he would take care of me. I think 
he would say something like that. And he might, he might go on and he might say, hey, why don't you read the rest of what Peter wrote? Because I think that would be really helpful for you. And you go, oh, well, thanks. And so you would go back, you start, you start reading through the scriptures, start reading through 1 Peter. And as you read, you'd come to 1 Peter 4, uh, 19. And Peter says, therefore, those also who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. You read that and you go, you know what? Jesus, that's exactly what you did and what, that's what you want me to do in this situation. And I can rest in him. I can trust him because he's faithful and he'll do what's right. And then you keep reading. You keep reading and come to 1 Peter 5.10. You get to the end and you're thinking, well, I'm almost done. And then this verse captures you at the very end, uh, 1 Peter 5.10. And it says, after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who calls you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect confirm, strengthen, and establish you. And you begin to realize that God is having you go through hard things because he's working in your life and because he wants to grow you. And he wants you to become more and more complete and more and more mature and and actually strengthened. And your competencies begin to increase. And he's really wanting to establish you in your life. There's so many things that God is doing as he takes you through hard times. Now, there's a there's a movie that I really like uh, called Cinderella Man. And I had so many ideas for clips today that I, I decided we, if we listen to all these clips, none of you could actually, actually, I wouldn't have any time to talk. So, but there's a there's a movie called Cinderella Man. About, it's a true story about a man named James Braddock. He was a prize fighter back in the 20s and 30s. And he was very, he got very wealthy doing that. But then when the stock market crashed in the Great Depression, he lost everything. He lost absolutely everything. And his family went into some really deep poverty. And in that time, he, he, he was still fighting. They were trying to get fights, and he just wasn't doing very well. And he broke his right hand, and he was known as a right-handed fighter. He broke his right hand, and they cast it all up for him. And it just ended any hope that he had of just making money the way he always had. And in the, in the, in the story, which is, and like I said, it's a true story. This is true. He began to go to the docks where a lot of guys would try to get some work just like they work. And so he goes to the docks. He finally gets in and he starts working there, but he has to hide his cast because they wouldn't let him work if they knew he's broken. And so he puts shoe polish all over the cast and he's hiding it every time they look at him and he's doing all of his work with his left hand. He's doing all this work for weeks and a few months. And then finally, his right hand heals up. And so he has both. And then his old manager comes and talks to him. And he says, you know, hey, we got this opportunity. It's a one-time opportunity. If you want to take it, is you got to go fight. You can go fight one time for someone who has a bit of a name. They're looking they're looking for someone that people might recognize their name so he can beat them up. He goes, okay. And so he goes in and he, uh, they said, you know, whether you win or lose, you get paid. Hey, well, I'm in. And so he goes in, and some, what happens is he knocks the guy out. He knocks the guy out, and everyone's blown away, including himself. And his manager comes and talks to me. He goes, what in the world? He says, where did the right, where did the left come from? You've never been able to use your left hand. He goes, you know, I, I, I think it's because I've been working on the docks. And what, what really got him, what helped his family come out of poverty 
was the very hardship that he faced. You know, the hardship, he lost his arm. He lost his uh, hand. It got broken. And what looked like everything was going against him, what was really happening is that his left hand was being strengthened so that when he stepped back into the ring, he actually had the ability and the uh, the competence to actually go on. In fact, he went, he went up winning the, the heavyweight championship of the world, and he pulled his family out of poverty. Now, I think God does a lot of things like this, and we just don't notice. I think God does a lot of things like this in our lives, and we just don't notice. And uh, I remember watching that movie, and I just thought, God, isn't that just like you? Isn't that just like you? You put us through hard things, but you're actually working with us and bringing us to the next place you want us to be. And so, you know, at work, you go through some hard things, you carry some responsibilities, you begin to see your stock increase. You begin to you begin to learn how to handle harder things. And so even harder things come. And because you've learned how to do that with God and really take it to him and get help from him and deal with what you're dealing with, you continue to make progress and you, your career begins to flourish. Um, it also happens just at home. You become, you, you become more and more the person who can really help your kids deal with the things they're dealing with. So that really leads us to the next thing, and that is that God really wants us to show up in the lives of other people. He wants us to show up in the lives of other people. Uh, let's take a look. I want to take a look real quick at Hebrews 4, 15, and 16. Again, this is the central verse of this series. And it just says this, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. I highlighted those three words, empathize, approach, and confidence, because that's the kind of arena, that's the kind of atmosphere that Jesus created by going to the cross and paying the price for us, he, he created an, uh, an, an area, uh, just a safe place and a judgment-free zone where we can come to him and really get the help that we need from him and really ask him for the help that we need. And what God really wants us to do, he wants us to create that same kind of space in our own lives for other people. He wants us to create that same kind of space where people can feel safe and not judged to come in and actually be a part of our lives, and we have an opportunity to help them. So how do you grow in empathy? How do you grow in empathy? Uh, well, a couple things that you really have to do, and that is you have to be able to imagine what it's like to be them. You have to be able to imagine what it's like to be them, and you have to interact with them. You have to interact with them and just get to know them. So, you know, imagining what it's like to be them, I... I remember reading this story uh, that Stephen Covey told a long time ago. As he was on a, he said he was on a train. I think it was a subway in New York. He's on this train, and there was a gentleman that was there. And there was actually, you know, lots of people were in the car, but there's a gentleman that was there, and um, he had a few kids. Yeah, I can't remember if it was two or three kids, but they were just kind of running around, running amok, getting in everybody's uh, space and. People were getting kind of frustrated with them. They were swinging off of things. And, and he looked at this guy, and he said that his thought was, man, doesn't this guy know how to take care of his kids? Good grief. Someone's got to raise your kids. Are you going to step up and do it? He started, he started having those kinds of feelings for this guy. And people were obviously ticked off around him. And 
But he happened to be standing close to him. And he just happened to, he just mentioned something. I don't remember exactly what he said, but he mentioned something like, well, your kids sure have a lot of energy or something like that. Just kind of acknowledging the fact that they're running around. The guy looks at him and he goes, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I didn't hear what you said. He said, uh, you know, I'm on my way home, uh, from the hospital and, uh, we just lost my wife. She passed away. And, uh, honestly, I just don't know what I'm going to do next. And I'm trying to figure out figure out what to do, and he looks over at his kids and he goes, I have no idea how I'm going to tell them. And Stephen Covey said that, first of all, he was internally rebuked. And he said, you know, nothing changed in the situation. The kids were still out of control. Uh, People were still ticked off. Nothing changed. But his perspective on that man and who that man was and what he was dealing with completely changed. And that's 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 when you can imagine that everyone around you has a story. You know, all the people around us, there's really a story that's running around in the background of their lives. It it really, it's a big reason. It's a big part of the reason, like, why they act the way they act, a big reason why they think the way they think, why they, why the way they, they believe the way they believe. Those are really, uh, there's that story that's behind all that. And when we get, when we get, angry about things it it creates really just gets in the way of us ever really understanding them and what they're dealing with and if we get arrogant uh and maybe judgmental then it just gets in the way of us really knowing how who they are and what they're dealing with but it's empathy that builds a path to people it's empathy that builds a path so that you can really understand what people are dealing with so you can get involved in their world which leads us to the next thing to really do that you need to interact with people you need to interact with people, not to get to know them. You know, there's a, there's a, there's a lady named, uh, Brene, uh, Brown, who, uh, she's like a researcher on the subject of empathy. And she does TED Talks and she's also, uh, she's written some books. But she has this, she has this great illustration of the difference between sympathy and empathy, which I've, those words are, they're so close to each other. I've always had a hard time just figuring out what's different between them. But she said that sympathy, like if you come along and you found someone that had fallen into a hole, sympathy comes along and goes, man, you look like you're thirsty. You know, I could get, let me get you a drink of water. Or you, you're probably hungry too. Let me get you a sandwich. Let me get you something you need. Empathy, what empathy does is it climbs down the ladder into the hole with them. And it understands what it's like to be in the hole. And it understands what they feel as they're in the hole. And then they do life with them down in the hole to a point where they really come to understand what it is they're dealing with. And then there's maybe an opportunity in the future where you can help them figure out how they might get out of that hole. But that's what empathy does. And I just thought that was just a great picture of really what empathy is. And uh, it actually made me think of, I'm going I'm to look at something Paul said in Philippians 2. <clears throat> Excuse me. Verses 5 through 7. Paul said this, he said, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Jesus wanted, he wanted a different kind of relationship with us than it was just based on power and authority. 
Jesus really wanted a relationship with us that really is the kind of relationship that happens when we really understand that he really understands. When we understand that he really understands, it's a, it's a whole different quality and kind of relationship that Jesus wants with us. And Paul said, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And that's God, uh, Jesus really wants us to show up in the lives of the people around us and to really uh, open up those arenas of, of just acceptance and really meeting them where they're at and getting to understand them so that we could possibly get to the place where we could really help them. He wants to really show up in the lives of our friends, show up in the lives of our coworkers, our family. That's really what he wants us to do. So, you know, I'd like us to watch, because we are going to watch a movie clip. You guys know me. Um, I want us to watch a movie clip, and this is from uh, Lord of the Rings. And you probably didn't know that either. But uh, but it is from Lord of the Rings, and uh, you've probably seen this before. But this is this is a part, uh, and, if, and if you've never seen Lord of the Rings, because I found out today there are some folks that have never seen Lord of the Rings. Um, the ring is, like, really evil, and you've got to destroy it, and it's really hard to do. So just so you know that. Uh, so this is a scene where Frodo... The main, one of the main characters is holding the ring and he's, he's just wishing that it wasn't so hard. And I like to just watch this and we'll come back and we'll say a few words. I wish the ring had never come to me. I wish none of this had happened. So do all who live to see such times, but that is not for them to decide. All you have to decide is what to do with the time that is given to you.
made a promise, Mr. Frodo. A promise. Don't you leave him, Samwise Gamgee. And I don't mean to. I don't mean to. Oh, Sam. It's a, it's a big, a great picture of a lot of what we're talking about today. Uh, Frodo showed up for the hard thing in his life, and there was someone that was older and wiser that had given him some really good advice, and he re, he reflected on that. And then you see Sam. Sam shows up in Frodo's life, and he does life with him. And then what you see over the course, if you watch this movie, is that Sam and Frodo keep showing up for each other. And this is really a story of people showing up. For each other, and when when you do that, another word you can call that is community, and that's really what a community really looks like. Is that when we show up for each other, it builds and it grows. And so as we as we wrap up as we wrap up this morning, I'd like to I'd like to ask each of you just to consider something. That's to consider writing down a name, writing down a name of someone in your life that you need to show up for. It might be, you might already have this name in your head. Uh, it might be you need to think about it a little bit, but write down the name of someone that you need to show up for in your life. And, you know, it might, it might be someone that's in your family. It might be your wife. It might be your husband. It might be your son. It might be your daughter. It might be your mom or your dad. Um, it might be someone at work, uh, maybe a coworker, maybe a boss. Um, it could be maybe it's someone in your community group. As, uh, as you're getting connected to folks in your community group, maybe, maybe there's someone there that comes to your mind. But I think that something pretty special could happen if each one of us walked out of here today with just a new determination that we were going to show up in the life of someone else. And so I just I'd really ask you just to consider doing that. And that would be, that would be a next step that you could do in, in response to our talk this morning. Uh, another next step that you could potentially do is you know, taking, taking, maybe you're not in the habit of this, but taking the thing that you're really dealing with to God in his word. Spend some time in his word. Take what you're really dealing with with him and honestly just be real with him about what you're dealing with. And then ask him for help. Ask him for help. And then listen to what he says. And then uh, maybe it could be that God really brought up something else in your mind this morning God, uh, as, as I've been talking I'd really encourage you to follow through and do that. So with that, I'd like to ask the band to go ahead and come back up. Um, if you haven't finished filling out your connection card, now's a great time to finish filling that out. And go ahead and put that in the offering basket when it comes around. And then uh, I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll get back to service. Dear God, Father, we come before you very grateful that you showed up for us. And Jesus, we're very grateful that when we talk to you, we know that you know what it feels like to be us. And God, I just pray that each one of us would take some steps towards understanding how to actively do this in our lives, taking things to you and following through with what you say. And I pray that each one of us 
would see folks that we could show up for in their lives. And that, uh, God, you would just create a real community more and more and more amongst us. In Jesus' name, amen.